0: Stevie Cohen has bought the Mets the new look Mets are in the house but the Yankees have stood pat and Tanaka's on his way out the Mets have a brand new cast the Yankees have stood pat let's talk to the two insiders that we got about that this is downtown sports I am the mouth of the south John Schiavone along with my co-host the Beast of the East Jonathan Periente. this is downtown sports this is where sports come home Beast let's get right into it we got to introduce an old friend of the show he is the radio voice of the new york mets ladies and gents mr wayne randazzo joins us on our opening segment of downtown sports wayne what's up how have you been
1: i'm great how are you guys
0: we're doing good and um well even today with the uh acquisition of the uh i forgot the gentleman's name the backup second baseman for the uh blue jays uh filling out the roster trevor bauer signs over in la do you think we're done with roster construction or is there another move the mets are looking to make
1: well it depends you know they got jonathan vr today that's that's the player you were talking about you know vr can not only be a backup at second base but a backup at shortstop a backup in the outfield even so i think he's a he's a valuable player you know sometimes he can be a little bit of a bonehead out there so you're gonna have to keep an eye on that but Um, you know, I think VR can be useful for the Mets. You know, as far as what's next or potentially next, you know, this team has been involved in some trade rumors regarding a third baseman or a combination of a third baseman and a starting pitcher. I know there's some attraction to the Cincinnati coupling of Eugenio Suarez and Sonny Gray uh, or Chris Bryant and Kyle Hendricks, if you're really dreaming big, uh, thinking about what the Cubs could offer. So, those are possibilities, but I think it's important to keep in mind that if the Mets go to spring training and get to opening day with the roster they have right now, that they should be good enough to compete for a little while. And then when you get to the trade deadline, you know, maybe at that point you reassess. Hopefully you have Syndergaard back by then, and you can really figure out what you need and what you want at that time. You don't have to have all this done now. You can you can wait and get better later, like they did six years ago when they went to the World Series after grabbing Cespedes at the trade deadline in 2015.
2: Speaking of uh, other moves that the Mets have made, Wayne, let's look at the one just recently that, if you're a Mets fan, he kind of got away. Trevor Bauer. He made a long statement on Twitter, basically bringing up, oh, you know, I was looking at things here with my, uh, with my guys in uh, my advertising and this and this. and, uh, Basically, he kind of made a long-handed statement that he didn't want to go to the Mets. And I'm going to join the Dodgers. Three years, 102 million dollars. Uh, wanted to lay it all out. What were you? What? Did, what were some things you took from that? Uh, from that statement, uh, was this kind of a way of Bauer saying, "I, I, I don't want to be. Uh, maybe New York's not for me. Maybe I'll, I'll just go to the Dodgers where the money is, or something like that."
1: Well, the money was certainly uh, in New York for Trevor. I, I think that he could have been just as prosperous, if not more so, becoming a Met. I think. I think the, uh...
0: the Mets was actually bigger. The contract that the Mets was all yeah. the Mets
1: offered. No. That's what, that's what the r- rumor was, and, and it very well may be true. But the, the point, I think, for Trevor is a couple of things. One, you know, he goes home. You know, he's, he's a UCLA guy. You can't really put into a, a, a quantification there on what that means to him to be a Dodger. Um, you know, he, he gets a chance to pitch for his hometown team, and I think that's, that's something. If it, if it was the reverse, if he was a New York kid, he probably would have signed with the Mets. Um, but I think that there was that, that allure to go to L.A. and to pitch for the Dodgers. They are the defending champions. They are the team still to beat in baseball in 2021. He wants to win. He also won't have the pressure of having to be the guy. And if for the Mets, you know, DeGrom's the ace. But the Mets are a team that's trying to get better. So if you bring in a guy like Trevor Bauer, the expectation is that he helps you get better. The Dodgers, they're just trying to maintain And I think Trevor has a lot less pressure going to L.A. and trying to help them win a second championship rather than coming to New York and trying to win for the first time in 35 years. And, you know, maybe that did play into it as well. Also, you know, I think what his statement means is that he has an opt-out after each year of his contract, and he could very well dance with the Mets again next offseason. So I don't think he's trying to close that door completely.
0: Talking with Wayne Randazzo, the radio voice of the New York Mets. Let's talk about how they actually did update their pitching staff. Along with the Franklin door trade, which everybody is in love with, came a pitcher named Carrasco. If you look up his career stats, they're very similar to Trevor Bowers. What should Met fans expect from Carrasco?
1: I think you expect a guy that's going to take the ball every fifth day and give you quality. Um, You know, he's a legitimate number two or number three starter. He's a guy that, that overcame some serious problems health-wise and, and really didn't miss a beat. In fact, last year might have been the best year of his career. It was really, uh, I think when you, you look at this trade, if you keep Lindor long-term, that Carrasco almost becomes a steal for the Mets. And I, I think that he's going to deliver, as he always has, in the Mets starting rotation. He's a great supplement to, to go in there with Stroman. With again, you hope Syndergaard being back by the middle of the season, and with you know whoever else they've added to this point, Joey you can give them some innings. David Peterson certainly had his moments as a rookie last year. He factors in, and and maybe they still do make a move and and bring in either uh, a guy like a Jake Odorizzi or uh, James Paxton, as as you mentioned, or um, someone of that ilk. You know, Rich Hill is still out there. You know, maybe there's another veterans signing like that or maybe they, they do make a trade and there, there's a bigger splash but I think with Carrasco he at least settles things for them a little bit going into the season and gives them a legitimate number two behind Jacob deGrom if even if they don't make any other moves
2: definitely uh, let's let's dive into some of the other moves and that's me and this is I I think Mike Hoves thinks it's a dark horse move the addition of James McCann the impact he's going to have on the pitching staff, the catcher that he is, and he can hit for some power. And in the end, this turned out to be a good move because the Phillies retained JT Real Muto. Talk about this signing of James McCann.
1: Yeah. You know, the Mets, they, they, they had a lot of things they needed to figure out as the offseason rolled along. They knew catcher would be one of them. They knew real Muto would be expensive and they knew that he wanted to wait. So they kind of jumped the gun a little bit to bring in McCann, um, filling that hole behind the plate with a, with a veteran guy, a guy who's found some offense the last couple of years. You know, he was really a glove-first catcher for the early part of his career when he was with the Tigers. And now as a member of the White Sox, he, he got a lot better offensively. So you hope that continues. As you mentioned, he's, he's got a great reputation to be uh, a workhorse behind the plate, a guy who really works well with the pitching staff. He's, he's very good friends with Steven Mats, And you know, initially, there was a lot of thought that Mats would benefit from having McCann around. Obviously, that won't happen now. But uh, I do think the rest of the pitchers will you know, easily find themselves being able to work with McCann. I think Tomas Nito gives them a steady hand as well as a backup. And you know, I like where the Mets are behind the plate. I like where the Mets are in a lot of ways. Uh, I think that they still find themselves in some need of a defensive upgrade. You know, maybe that comes at third base. Maybe they still get Jackie Bradley to play center. I think that's difficult in a world without a DH because now you've, you've kind of been backloaded with where you are in the outfield as far as having Nimmo and Conforto and Dom Smith because you need Pete to play first. So it's, it's an interesting time for them because they really do need to get better defensively than, than how they've been the last several years.
0: Talking with Wayne Randazzo, the radio voice of the New York Mets. Switching gears here before we finish off talking about Mets free agency. The situation with Callaway and Porter, Alderson hired them both. Um, what kind of changes are Sandy Alderson going to make in his hiring process or is Major League Baseball looking to make in their hiring processes? And What happened in, that situation, in those situations where um, these guys' actions could have slipped through the cracks so easily?
1: Yeah, well, I think, the, you know, two very different situations. One with, with Jared Porter and not even being in the Mets organization, and, and some of what Mickey was alleged to have done was while he was with the Mets. Um, like, you know, Sandy Alderson hired both of those guys, and, and he's going to have to take a look at, at his hiring process, as I think all the teams around Major League Baseball will. Um, you know, there's more people that they can talk to. There's, there's more that they can do as far as checking a a certain individual's backgrounds and, you know, you just have to do your due diligence, maybe a little bit better than they have in the past to try to figure out a way to avoid situations like this moving forward.
0: And um, getting back to the um, outfield situation with the Mets, Just wanted to get that out of the way with the uh, Sandy Alderson really quickly. Do you think Brandon Nimmo will be the starting center fielder for the Mets, or are we going to see a Jackie Bradley Jr.? Because that's been rumored very, very heavily.
1: Yeah, I mean Bradley gives you a much better glove in in center field. I mean Nimmo is really a, a left fielder and, and and to have him in center is kind of a disservice to Brandon because I think that he's he could be a very good left fielder. Brandon gives you a lot offensively. He's a, an on-base machine. He he has enough power to generate a, a pretty high OPS. You know, the last two seasons that nimmo has been healthy, 2018 and 2020, his OPS was around 900 both of those years. I mean, that's that's nothing to sneeze at. He, he really brings it f- f- with the bat and gets on base a lot. Um, you know, they do need to be better defensively. There's, there's no question. You know, Almora helps, but is not going to play that much. You know, he's kind of that reserve, Marisnick, Lagaris type that, you know, we, that we've seen in the last few years that doesn't play enough innings to really make a huge impact. So I like Albert Almora. I think he'll help. But they still need a better glove in center field and, or at third base. And I, I think that they, they really need to, to look hard as to what to do if they do bring in Bradley. You know, what do you do with Nimmo or, or somebody else? You know, how, how does that impact the rest of the lineup? Because you still need some guys like that in the lineup every day. You can't, you can't have Brandon Nimmo coming off the bench. He's too valuable offensively for that. So they'll have to figure out what that move, if they do sign Bradley, would look like for the rest of the team. And on the other hand of that, do you just wear if you sign Bradley to a four-year deal, do you just wear it for one year? Because you know the DH is going to be there in 2022, at least it's very likely to be. So, you know, if there's no DH in 21, there's almost certainly going to be one in 22. And then you do have that extra roster spot to play with. So, you know, that's that's a possibility too, where the Mets just try to puzzle it all together for one year, knowing that the DH will help them be able to really secure those spots for the players in the right areas that they should be in moving forward.
2: Talking with Wayne Randazzo, the radio voice of the Mets, and uh, we'll get you out of here on this last question. A very interesting point you brought up with the sticking around with the universal DH. What also is going to stay, and according, uh, this came out today via MLB trade rumors, the Players Association and Major League Baseball have reached a deal on new health and safety protocols, which includes the return – of seven inning double headers and starting innings off with a runner at second after extra inning basically an extra innings. What do you think of this and uh, is this still is this good to keep this going forward or do you think maybe baseball should have gone back to the old way of nine innings in a doubleheader and etc. Yeah,
1: I mean the doubleheader thing I think uh, I understand to some degree for the for still being a, in a pandemic and for um, not trying to burn through pitching staffs and you don't you want players around the ballparks all that long. So I, I think that still makes sense for this year. You know, the, the runner on second base and in extra innings, I think is, is the worst rule uh, baseball has right now, if not one of the worst rules they've ever had changing the rules of the game. Once you get to extra innings, doesn't make much sense to me. You know, the NFL is the most popular sport in America uh, soccer is the most popular sport in the world they both have tie games you know the the NFL not as much but still a couple times a year you, you run into a tie game but they don't change the rules when it's overtime you know you just play and then if it's a tie it's a tie so if you played if you capped it at 12 innings but you just played through the normal way up until then and called it a tie after 12 what's the harm in that especially if it's if it's just for this season you know there there might there might be a few of them but there's the percentage of games that go beyond 12 innings is very very small so you wouldn't have that many ties over the course of the year you you might get a couple but if 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 one team had more than two that would be surprising so i don't see any reason why you'd have to change the rules for extra innings just cap how many innings you'd play.
0: I hope they get rid of that and that ridiculous uh, six mound visit limit that you get in games now, because I have never seen it go below like what four for about any team where they've had, where they've almost run out of mound visits. I don't think think I've ever seen that Wayne. Thanks so much for taking the time to come on and join us.
1: Okay. Thanks a lot. guys.
0: That was Wayne Randazzo radio voice of the New York Mets. When we come back MLB insider for the New York Yankees, what, Wait, no, he's not just the MLB insider for the New York Yankees anymore, is he? No, he's not. He's our downtown
2: sports insider, is Brian Hoke. And he will join us to discuss the Yankees and some of their moves that they've made so far in this offseason, which has, in many ways, if you're a Yankees fan, it's been a pedestrian
0: one, kind of quiet, if you will. They let Tanaka go back home. They let him run back to Rakuten and stack dollars in Japan.
2: What else could the Yankees be planning this offseason going into next year? We're going to find that out from Mr. Hoke and more back after this. (laughs) And we're back to downtown sports. I'm the Beast of the East, Jonathan Perriente, along with my co-host, the Mouth of the South, John Schiavone. I would like to thank Wayne Randazzo for joining us in the first part of our show. Before we get on to our second guest of the day, John, where can our listeners hear us?
0: You can hear us on Anchor, Breaker, Spotify, Radio Public, Overcast, Pocket Cast, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcast, Castbox, Bullhorn, Podbay, and Listen Notes. 12 different platforms every single week. Interviews, rants, episodes, digital market battle specials. We're downtown sports where sports come home beast. Let's get right into our second guest.
2: Absolutely. We are pleased to welcome back a very special guest of ours. He is our downtown sports insider, the insider for MLB.com for the Yankees. We are pleased to welcome back Brian Hoke to downtown sports. Brian, thank you for taking some time to join us as always. How are you doing?
3: You got it, guys. I'm doing great. Uh, six days until pitchers and catchers. So, uh, yeah, life is getting slowly back to normal.
2: Unbelievable. And it's about to get even more back to normal. Uh, with Let's start with Governor Cuomo's recent announcement. Fans will be allowed in the stands again at 10% capacity. So that includes Yankee Stadium, Barclays Center. What are your thoughts on this? Fans returning, at least in a small degree, but fans are going to be back in the stadiums. What are your thoughts? Yeah.
3: It's like, you know, it's a good first step. Um, you know, obviously we've got a long way to go to get back to 45,000, 50,000 people in the stands, but I just having been there for those games and covered them. I was one of the few people who was in the ballpark last year. I think they only allowed 35 people in and, uh, it was not fun. Uh, the atmosphere was just dead, um, a post-apocalyptic kind of in a way. So just to get some kind of crowd back in there to hear some kind of noise, uh, I think that'll be a big plus. Um, you know, I, I wouldn't be shocked to see it be higher than 10% by April, um, because they're trying this pilot program here. Uh, the NBA, the NHL, they're going to get first crack at it. And I feel like a lot can change between now and April 1st. So, um, you know, maybe 10% becomes 20% um, because, uh, you know, right now we're talking probably about 5,000 people. That's 10% of Yankee Stadium. Can it be safely 10? Um, If you're going to do five, I think you can probably do 10. So let's see where it goes. Um, But this is a good first step.
0: Well, um, when you're looking at the NBA and the NHL, they're doing the 10%. So they're going to have like 2,000 people, for example, in Madison Square Garden. I think we could put 2,000 people – in a uh, indoor arena, which I still think we're we're we should be way far off from indoor stuff, I, I feel like baseball and outdoor sports should really be getting more focused, but you know when you see two thousand in the stands and if that works out and numbers don't jump up, where do you think it might go yeah I, I
3: look I'm in Tampa, so they just had the Super Bowl here and they had twenty two thousand and Um, I'll be honest. The, the mask adherence is not good here. And so I think it's going to be much better in New York. I think that uh, the chances of having some kind of super spreader event, they're not going to let that happen at Yankee stadium or city field. Um, They're going to be very strict about it. Um, Certainly much more so than they have been down here in Florida, where it's kind of anything goes, you know, the bucks had their parade yesterday and I drove by it and I saw lots. (laughs) I saw more people not wearing masks than wearing masks. It was kind of scary to be honest with you. So uh, that being said, as far as New York goes, I think that, um, you know, 10% is definitely doable, especially being an open air stadium. And we're going to get a test drive of it here uh, in spring training. Uh, That's about to begin in in a few weeks and you're going to have open air baseball with fans in the stands. And uh, it's going to be kind of like what you just mentioned, 2000, 3000, 4,000 people so I guess we'll see where it goes. Um, but I'll tell you one thing, I don't care to cover a game with zero fans in the stands ever again. I hope that never happens because it was no fun for anybody.
2: Talking with Brian Hoke, YankeesMLB.com insider. Let's dive into the Yankees uh, on the next note because they've made, uh, they've made a few, if not, maybe not as many moves in the off season as uh, we would have expected, uh, Let's begin with the pitching staff. Yankees did make expected. a couple of additions. Jamison, Jamison Brian, Tyone. Brian
0: told you there weren't going to do much base. Brian told you that. But
2: they did make a couple of moves. But they did make a few of them. That is Corey true. That's Let's one. begin with Corey Kluber and, and Jamison Tyone. Two new additions to their pitching staff. You keep Sever- Severino will come back eventually. Hermine will come back eventually. You have Garrett Cole. You have Jordan Montgomery. Let's begin with the, with, that, with the two new additions, Kluber and Tyon. What do you think of this move?
3: Yeah, high risk, high reward. Uh, I think that, look, if Kluber can come back to his Cy Young form, uh, obviously he hasn't pitched a whole lot in the last couple of years, uh, but we know what he is when he's great. And when he was back in Cleveland, can he get back to that? Can he get somewhere close? Maybe. Um, but I, I think that the way that Brian Cashman phrased it was with Tyon and Kluber, they figured – Two is better than one, and the one would have been Masahiro Tanaka. So you kind of knew what Tanaka would have brought. That was kind of a known quality. This is a gamble, uh, bringing Kluber and Tyone. If they're good, if it works out, if the gamble is great, then uh, it's an upgrade. But if they're not on the mound, it's hard to be better than Tanaka would have been. Because that was the one thing about Tanaka. You knew he was going to be consistent. He would take the ball, and he – Look, it was he an all-star every year? No. But he was solid, consistent, a good number two to pair with Garrett Cole. So time will tell. Um, I, I you know, at this time of year, you wanna be optimistic and say everybody's in the best shape of their life and everybody's gonna take the ball thirty times and pitch 180 innings. And um, if they do that, I think they'll be great. But if they can't be on the mound, then, then you're going into that depth. Uh, and now you're looking at your number six and number seven and number eight starters. So we'll see how it works out. But, um, you know, everything we're hearing right now is that Kluber and Tyone uh, look good. And I think the Tyone in particular is going to be uh, a big part of this team because you know he's now in another year, fully removed from Tommy John surgery. He's ready to come back, and they've they've seen guys come back from a second Tommy John. They had Nathan Evaldi a couple of years ago. They they know how to deal with this and how to to get a guy back. And tie on the ceiling, uh, it's there. So um, I, I like it a lot if you get these guys all healthy for October. But time will tell if they get there.
0: Now you brought him up. Let's talk about him. The career of Masahiro Tanaka as a New York Yankee to me. The best playoff pitcher that this team has had in the modern era of the New York Yankees that has just not won a championship. It was kind of sad to see that, you know, he didn't get the chance to hold that World Series trophy. It, it, it's almost heartbreaking if you're a Yankee fan to see what happened with Tanaka. What made Tanaka go? Truthfully, what made him, what made him decide to go back to Japan?
3: Uh, I thought you were asking what made him kind of go in those big game situations, because you're right. He did raise his game. I thought when the stakes were the highest and he almost got them there in 2017 and let's not forget, um, you know, if not for some hijinks on the Houston Astros part, they might've gotten to that world series. So uh, that got taken away from Tanaka. I don't know. That's a great question. I think that um, Tanaka wanted to come back. I think that the, you know, to put it simply, The Yankees didn't want him back that badly. They thought that it was time to try something else. And, um, you know, a seven-year run, uh, he'll go down as a solid contributor. Um, You know, I don't know if he's going to be standing along in Monument Park someday. Probably not. But i tell you one thing, and here's how I kind of base this on – Um, you know, Yankee careers and who knows Tanaka could come back next year. Uh, It could happen. He might not be done yet. Look, Andy Pettit came back twice. Right. (laughs) So, um, but assuming he doesn't, um, you know, if Tanaka comes back for an old timer's day sometime in the future, is he going to get a standing ovation? You bet he is. And so I I think he'll go down as one of the fan favorites in the Bronx. People are going to love that guy forever. And uh, you're right. He didn't get the He didn't get the world series that he intended to get, but I'm still not closing the door that he might come back someday. He's not done pitching yet.
2: Talking with Brian Hoke, YankeesMLB.com insider. Going to the Yankees lineup, though, this has been a very uh, – it's been a bit of a question mark for the Yankees. Like, they've been needing to add that extra bat or maybe add that lefty bat to the lineup. They did resign sign DJ LeMayhew. They needed to, absolutely. But now with some of the moves they made with Tanaka, now Brett Gardner might come back for another year. I know it's a big lefty bat in the lineup, but the Yankees really have not addressed – getting that that additional bat in the lineup, maybe getting that little extra pop that they haven't had. Are you surprised the Yankees have not made further adjustments to their lineup going into
3: 2021? What doesn't worry me about the Yankees lineup is hitting for power, putting up runs on the board. I think this team's going to mash. I I really do. I like the lineup. My my one concern is that it's not balanced and to not have – a solid left-handed bat in Yankee Stadium—that's tough to uh, tough to stomach. You would like to see more balance there because if you look at their opening day lineup right now, I think the only guy who could hit from the left side of the plate would be Aaron Hicks, and he's a switch hitter. And otherwise, it's right, 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 right. You know, so look—they had to bring back DJ LeMahieu. That's a a no-brainer move. Um, the rest of this lineup—you got guys at the corners like. Luke Voigt and Gio Urshela. I think Labor Torres is going to bounce back. I think Gary Sanchez is going to bounce back. Um, You know, if you can get... Healthy years out of Judge and Stanton. Uh, Clint Frazier get a full year in right field. I mean, I like the idea for run production on this team. I think that's not going to be a problem, but I do wonder if they're going to be susceptible because of that lack of left-handed hitting. I'm not saying that bringing back Brett Gardner solves everything because I think Gardy would probably just be a part-time player anyway. And you've got guys like a Mike Tauchman, Uh, you know, he could slide in there. You've got Mike Ford. He's lefty. They've got some guys who are lefty, but this lineup is not balanced to me, and especially being in Yankee Stadium where you got that short porch down at right field line, 314. You'd like to see them be able to take advantage of it a little more.
0: But that's something that never usually misses Brian Cashman's eye. So I'm thinking trade deadline is when he addresses this. Who is on the trade market, who's on the last year of their deal, on a bad team, who knows not going to resign? That might be a left-handed bat that the Yankees can take advantage of.
3: Yeah, you're putting me on the spot there, and I haven't even looked into that yet. Um, But (laughs) you're right in that Cashman is usually on top of those things. And, look, I think health is going to determine a lot of this because they do have some trade chips. We've talked a lot about uh, the idea that Miguel Andujar doesn't really have a set place on this team. Where is he going to play if Urshela comes back and is playing third base every day like we think he's going to? He doesn't really have a spot. And uh, I think Clint Frazier has earned the opportunity that he's going to be in the outfield and, and he deserves a full season out there. I don't think he's going anywhere, but they do have some chips they can move. I mean, they moved some in the, uh, the tie deal. That was a four player deal. I think that's what the kind of move the Cashman would be looking to make if they absolutely need to go out and get um, some kind of lefty slugger to, to balance things out. But uh, the one thing I would say about this Yankee team is they do have guys like a Lemayhu, like a judge, like Stanton, who can hit the ball to the opposite field and who go into that right center field power alley. So it's not like they're just dead pull hitters to left field. Uh, this team can spray the ball around a little bit and do it with power. And so look, if you've got DJ Lemayhu setting the tone, I, I like the way that team is lined up for run production. So I think that, uh, you know, any move that Cashman is probably going to make for, Offense at the deadline, come you know July or so, it's probably going to be based on injury.
2: Looking at the Yankees bullpen is going to be the next big thing. Though. The Yankees did let uh, let go of two of their big relievers. Uh, one of them was Tommy canely he signed with the Dodgers. The Yankees also recently traded Adam Ottavino; he's going to the rival Red Sox. How rare is that when the Yankees and Red Sox ever make a trade?
3: Don't see it much. But now the
2: Yankees did get, a <laughs> yeah. But the Yankees did, uh, they did get a couple pieces back for the bullpen, which isn't bad. They got uh, Darren O'Day, the sidewinder. So the Yankees will have at least, if you look at it now, the Yankees will have a little bit of a shorter, I guess, leash to the pen to get to Chapman. You'll Let's say maybe you slide in Darren O'Day for the seventh inning, and wherever you have for the eighth inning could be probably Chad Green or so, and then... You Close the game with Chapman, or maybe even have Britain set up so you could. Well, maybe don't go forget Zach
3: Britain, is what I was going to say. For yeah, yeah that was six, the sixth, seventh seven inning. Maybe have Britain go the eighth back. inning,
2: have Chapman go the ninth, and you could throw O'Day somewhere in
3: there. Yeah, I was going to say, don't forget about Zach Britton uh, because that was such a huge move. They had to make sure that he came back because he's kind of their Swiss Army knife. He can go anywhere that you need him in the seventh inning, the eighth inning, what have you. And uh, Chad Green, Darren O'Day, you know, it's not as dominant a Yankee bullpen as we've seen in years past, but I thought the Ottavino move, made sense because it just wasn't working. Um, you know, that first half that he was with the Yankees, probably up until September, that was pretty good. And then something happened late in September, uh, in that October, and he's never really fully gotten back to that. So uh, I think he's still going to be tough on the Yankees uh, coming out of the bullpen. As we just mentioned, Yankees have a lot of right-handed bats. So I think for for Boston, he'll do pretty well. But uh, you know, that move didn't make a whole lot of sense to me from Boston's perspective because out of, does not put them over the top. We're not saying that yeah, the Red Sox are going to go, you know, win the East or be World Series contenders because they got Adam out um, You know, he'll be a good part for them, I guess. Uh, you know, he'll have a bounce back here, but, um, you know, maybe. But he doesn't put them over the top is my point. And so uh, I think you're going to see some competition in spring training. Some of these younger guys who uh, might have tried to get to the rotation, like Michael King, a, a Davey Garcia maybe even, a Clark Schmidt. These guys are going to get chances in the bullpen. Um, and I, we'll see where the rest of it slots in. But yeah, getting rid of say a Jonathan Holder. Uh, I think this this team, Brian Cashman looks like he wanted to try and put some new blood in there rather than just bring back the same group that didn't get there in 2020.
0: Talking with Brian Hoke, he is a Yankee insider for MLB.com as well as the Downtown Sports Yankee Insider. I want to ask you this question now every time i talk to a yankee fan they're always like on the edge they always are just they're getting so upset every move the mets make every move the blue jays make every move the dodgers make is like another like it triggers another anxiety attack for yankee fans uh huh What can you tell them to help calm this fan base down? Because the things I try to say are, well, look, they've won hundred games every single year for the past few years. They're consistently the one of the top two or three teams in the league. They're losing because of, you know, bad streaks from hitters and stuff like that. It's not that they need a new big agent free agent splash, what can you tell the Yankee fan that I can't tell them that's gonna calm them down so this way they stop losing their minds every time every other team makes a big agent big free agent splash other than them?
3: Well, this is the George Steinbrenner mindset that everybody grew up on where the only thing that matters, and Derek Jeter is responsible for it, too. The only thing that matters is winning the World Series. And if you don't do it, the season was a failure. And they haven't won the World Series since 2009. So I'm not surprised that people are getting impatient. And, uh, you know, they want to see the Yankees have that parade through the Canyon of Heroes again. It's been a while, for in Yankee years anyway. You know, uh, a lot of other franchises would love to have won a World Series within the last 11 years. But in the Yankees' uh, world, that doesn't cut it. So uh, this team needs to get back to a World Series. Um, They're a good team. They're they're knocking on the door, I can tell you that. Um, But what I will say is that I wonder how long the leash is for Aaron Boone only because, and I think Booney's done a great job, but if you go back in history, Joe Torre won the World Series his first year. Joe Girardi won it his second year. Now we're going on year four for Booney, and he hasn't gotten there yet. So this is the year He Booney needs to get there. Um, I, I think they've got a team capable of getting there. I've certainly got them picked to, to win the East. And, you know, I'll go back for my World Series pick that I made last year, which would be Yankees and Dodgers, just because I want to see that. Like, I want to see – especially now with Garrett Cole, Trevor Bauer, let's get those guys head-to-head in game one. Um, so, look, uh, can I guarantee it? No, I can't because baseball is hard. It's hard to get there. A lot of weird things can happen. The Yankees have – had a lot of bad luck with injuries. They've also gotten some bad luck by running into the Astros in 2017 who were cheating. Like I, I believe in my heart that the Yankees should have gone to that world series, but they didn't. And so now they got to get there. And uh, this is the year. And I, I I think time is running out in this window here because you're losing time. Uh, look, I don't know how long they can keep this whole band together with guys like judge and Gary Sanchez and, uh, Luis Severino, and, and keep this all together, this baby bombers. The baby bombers are getting a little old here. They're, they're becoming middle-aged bombers, so now's <laughs> the time.
2: Let's, let's bring that up, because um, Aaron Boone and I, I was bashing Aaron Boone a ton this past season, obviously for how things went down in the Tampa Bay Division Series game. What does Aaron Boone have to do differently this year? Do you think Aaron Boone is going to continue to follow the analytics, or you're going to see him play more with his gut? Because I think Aaron Boone now really has to show the world a little bit here. I feel like everybody's looking at, oh, he was listening to Brian Cashman. I'm listening to the ownership. I got to go with my own gut. When I see my pitchers not doing well or if I see a guy is not hitting, I have to make a change. Do you see Aaron Boone taking a more hands-on approach this coming year?
3: I think, uh, well, I guess the first thing I would say is don't do the opener with David Garcia again. Don't ever do that. Like, I don't I don't ever want to see David Garcia used as an opener, especially for Jay Happ. And obviously, Happ is gone now. So uh, it doesn't even matter. But, um, yeah, I think that uh, I know a lot of fans would love to see him managed by the seat of his pants. But we're not seeing the Joe Torrey, the Jim Leland, the Tony La Russa, although I guess La Russa is back now. Um, we're not seeing those guys, the, the old school kind of managers too much. That is a dying group. And Boone is very, um, I, I think we, we can all say that he is in the analytics crew. Like, I, I know he's got the big league pedigree and he played in the game and he understands he's got a feel for it. But I think numbers are such an important part of what the Yankees do um, that for him to turn his back on the analytics, I I just don't see it. So maybe there's a, I I think there's a give and take a delicate balance there, but I would anticipate that Aaron Boone's going to be the same guy that we've seen him to be in the last three years. And that's a guy who uh, relies on the numbers a lot, who listens to the analytics guys uh, who are roaming the clubhouse and um, who listens to the general manager. I, I just don't think that, he has a whole lot of flexibility to go off script, uh, to put it that way.
0: Truth enough, but the only thing I would ask is, you know, sometimes you, you're in a big series, you're in a playoff situation, and I know you're analyzing the numbers, and I know, but but it, even if the numbers say that this guy is good, you know that this guy, the past three or four times, has bombed every time you put him in. Boone will still put in that guy. Is he going to get a little more freedom to not follow the book? Is it a situation where Boone is choosing to follow the book or is he now, is he ordered that he must follow the book? Is it, is it like a, a, is it choice versus systemic, uh, a systemic thing coming from Cashman on down?
3: Yeah, I don't. I can't. I don't. I can't pretend to get into Boone's head there, and and kind of know what the the balancing act is. But I think he does have some freedom to you know play hunches. I'm thinking of that postseason game where he he sent up Mike Ford to pinch hit, um, and it was kind of everybody was looking at it and saying this doesn't make sense. But he had a hunch on Ford, and he believed that he was going to come through, and he did. And so he has to answer that for that. And I think that uh, that's that's the, the risk there. The safest thing to do if you're a big league manager right now, and this is not about Boone, this is about all 30 of them, is just say, I did A, B, C because the numbers told me to. But there's not a whole lot of imagination in that. A computer could do that. And so I think that um, w- w- the job that a manager has now is to take those numbers and factor that into what you're seeing with your eyes. And, and a lot of the things... A computer doesn't know. Uh, You know, (laughs) I'm not using the Yankees as an example, but a player may have stayed out too late last night. He might be hungover. Uh, You know, he he might be having problems at home. There's things that go on. There's a heartbeat, as Joe Torre used to say. The game has a heartbeat. Things are happening outside of the computer and the numbers. And just because uh, player A did this against Adam Adovino, uh last season doesn't necessarily mean he's in the best position today to do it. So I think that is the uh, the problem with uh, what a manager has to deal with now, because the numbers guys are going to bang on the table and say, no, 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 it says you have to do this here, and not necessarily, not in every situation. And so that is the push pull, and I, it's a hard position to be in. I don't envy them because um, you know if you do something like that and send up Mike Ford and it doesn't work. Then you've got the, the numbers guy saying, We gave you the numbers. Why didn't you listen to us? And then you got to answer that. I'm
2: going to get you out of here on this. Uh, the American League East is going to see quite a bit of a change in the landscape. George Springer going to the Blue Jays, Red Sox kind of doing a little bit of a reload, if you will. They just traded Andrew Benintendi yesterday. How different? The Rays definitely are going to be a little different this offseason as well. What is going to be the landscape? For the american league east for 2021
3: yeah i, I think it uh, i still have the yankees to win the division i think they will i i i didn't see the rays coming as fast last year as they did and look they won it on the field they were the better team no doubt about it i think they won eight out of ten against the yankees uh they outplayed them but i don't see that happening again this year i, I think the rays took a step back. They're still going to be a solid team. I think Toronto has taken a step forward. Um, you know, I've got Toronto in second place, and I think they're that good. I think they're going to continue to get better, and they're going to be a thorn in the Yankees' side for years to come. So, you know, if I got to throw numbers out there, I'll say um, Yankees one, Toronto two, uh, Tampa Bay three. Um, let's go Boston four and uh, Baltimore five. Sorry, Baltimore. You're just not there. <laughs> That's going to be another rough year. But um, yeah, I, I think that uh, if the Yankees don't win the division this year, it's a disappointment for them. I mean, they've got the, the team, they've got the payroll, uh, You know, they've got the talent, top to bottom. I really, I do like the roster. And so we'll see where it goes, but uh, I thought they should have won the division last year. They didn't get there. So let's see what they do this year.
0: Brian Hope, MLB.com Yankees insider and downtown sports Yankees insider. Thank you so much for allowing us to say that about you a B thanks for coming on to the show. We really appreciate it.
3: You got it guys. Take care.
2: And with that, that's going to conclude this edition of downtown sports. We are available on 12 different platforms. I want to thank Brian Hoke. I want to thank Wayne Randezzo, Crystal large, our statistician and Tony Mainville, our researcher before we wrap things up now, where can our listeners again hear us?
0: They can hear us on anchor breaker, Spotify, radio public pocket cast, overcast, Google podcast, Apple podcast, Castbox, box, bullhorn pod bay. And listen, notes 12 different platforms every single week. Because we are downtown sports. And we are where sports come home. For my co-host, the Beast of the East, Jonathan Perriente. It's the mouth of the South, John Schiavone, saying, we out. Thanks for listening.